To bring you up to speed, for the last couple of weeks, we've been in a series titled uh, Live in the Dream. And the idea behind it has been that God tells us in his word that he wants us to live a meaningful and a purposeful life. He wants us to live a life that has depth to it, one that is joyful, one that is complete. He wants us to to live uh, the best life that we possibly can live in this world. You know, we all want to live a good life. We all want to live a life that is fulfilling and meaningful. We all want to be healthy. We want to feel this constant upward growth, if you will, or movement of, of the things and the status of our life. We want to be improving and obtaining more and more, you know, as the days and the weeks and the years go on. Well, one of the ways that we, we do that, you know, in this physical world, in the society that we live in, is we establish, of course, governments and things that, that, that make laws and provide freedoms uh, and all of those things that, that should enable us to live the dream, to live a fulfilling and a peaceful and a purposeful life. We set up those laws so that we can live life and experience life to the fullest. We put money into things, people and places and programs and all kinds of things that enable people to, again, live that good life. But, you know, how's, it, how's that working for us? I was doing some research the other day, and, and I came across an article in the New York Times. Now. This article was dealing with the condition of the world uh, and the availability uh, of living a good life in the world. And it was talking most specifically about wars and, and times of, of hardship like that. And the article went on to talk about over the last 3,600 years. Now, now get listen to this. Over the last 3,600 years. There's only been 268 of those years where a, where a war has not been taking place on the earth in somewhere, someplace. There's only been 268 years where a war was not documented in the last 300 and, or 3,600 years. You know, it makes me wonder, too, if during that time period, you know, that 268, was there some other wars or things going on that maybe weren't documented? It's possible. But obviously, civil unrest and problems in this world have been here since the creation. You know, since the creation when Adam and Eve were booted out and, and you know, here you go, guys, you're in this world that's now fallen and broken. It's always been an issue. Being able to live in a life and in a world where there's hardships, wars, famines, all kinds of things. And we do. We make laws. We make rules and guidelines, establish governments and institutions and policies and all kinds of things designed to help us to live a good life, even in the midst of all of those troubles. But you know what? Has it really helped? Has it really helped? You know, I'm a creature of habit. I've told you all this in the past. Uh, every morning with my cup of coffee, 
in uh, Darcy, I know you're listening in my cup of water. Uh, I uh, look at the news on my um, phone. And just this morning, you know, I'm thinking about living the good life and how I can present this to people. And and I'm scrolling for the, through the news, and, and I read things like, you know, West Virginia is going to start offering uh, its residents $100 a piece just to get vaccinated. I'm like, really? There's an oil spill in China that's wreaking havoc. Uh, the opioid crisis is exploding. Uh, and, of course, we all know about what's taking place in uh, India right now with COVID-19 and the horrific conditions that those people over there are facing. You know, we, we see all the social unrest around us and, and the police shootings. And all, there's so much going on around us and in the world, and has been. Uh, it makes it very difficult to live a decent life. There's a scripture here. I just put it up on the screen for you, and I want to talk to you about this one a little bit. It comes from the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 10, Matthew 10, verse 39. And it says this, Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. You know, this scripture is one that um, is one of the most misunderstood scriptures that, that people talk about. It's one that uh, is misrepresented, if you will, many, many times in the way that people uh, talk about it and describe it. How does this statement that Jesus made affects our ability to live the good life or live the dream, this life that God has always intended us to live? Let's read it again. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Jesus is giving us a, a way here to live the good life. But what he's talking about here is a word that nobody wants to hear. People just don't want to hear this. And the word is submission. He's talking about submitting our will to the will of God the Father. He's talking about submitting our understanding of things, our livelihoods, if you will, our understanding, our, our heart. Our intent, everything, is submitting it to the will of God for his plans and for his purpose. And Jesus is saying that through that submission and living according to God's rules and God's laws and God's ordinances and living a, a faithful, holy life devoted to God, that is living the dream. That's what he's telling us. Jesus is giving us some very difficult things to challenge us. He's saying that you got to put your own understanding of things aside. That's hard to do. You know, how can I, as a Christian, submit my will totally to the will of God if I really don't trust him wholeheartedly? That's a great question. And it might be a question that you've asked yourself many times. I don't know. I know I've asked myself, but this is the problem that many Christians today have. 
I mean, we might as well just talk about the elephant in the room. Many Christians say, you know, I believe in Jesus and I trust in Jesus. I trust God and all that. But when it comes to the difficult things of life, when it comes to the difficult things of having that relationship with God, sometimes that trust, that complete trust gets challenged. This is the, one of the biggest problems out there. I've made, I've made the comment many times that the Christian walk will be the most difficult thing you ever do in your life. And this is one of the reasons. Because the Christian life, in order to live the Christian life, in order to live the blessed life and, and all that God has intended for us, we have to do it His way. We have to do it His way. You know, it, this whole issue of finding your life and losing your life and and, and trusting in God wholly brings up a lot of questions. Some of those questions are, what am I going to do when I'm faced with a family situation and the Word of God tells me one thing, and yet, you know, family and friends or whatever, people I love and care about, you know, their opinion is different. You know, is it going to interrupt my relation? Is it going to ruin my relationship with somebody if I, if I stand on what God has told me through His Word? This is one of, the most, one of the most difficult areas of our Christian walk today. And honestly, I can say I face this a lot. You know, there's a lot of things in Scripture that I don't really understand. A lot of things in Scripture I don't like. There's a lot of situations that just don't seem right to me. But I have to make this ultimate choice. You know, am I going to trust God or am I not? Now, I know that sounds maybe harsh, and some people will say, well, you know, you don't, you don't have to go that far or that extent. I think what Jesus was saying here in this scripture is, is exactly that. Yes, you do need to go that far. Yes, you do need to determine whether or not you're going to trust God wholeheartedly or not so that you can live according to his laws, his guidelines, and statutes so that you can live the life that was intended. i got a couple of um, stories here that I want to share with you. Um, one of them is about when Jesus was with a group of people. Jesus is with this group. He's been teaching, and there's disciples with him, the 12 disciples, as well as many other disciples. Remember that there were not just the 12 following Jesus. There was a whole bunch of people uh, that were following Jesus and that were known as his disciples. Plus, there were other people. They were curious. The religious leaders, you know, of course, were in opposition to the message that Jesus was offering. And, you know, it was just a lot of people in this group that he was teaching. And he says to them, he says, you have to drink my body or drink my blood and eat my body in order to have a part with me, in order to be in fellowship with me, in order to be in union with me and God the Father. He's talking about this spiritually. He's saying you have to ingest everything into your heart that I'm telling you about, that God is offering to you, that he's told you in the Old Testament scriptures, and that I'm telling you here today. He says, all of this stuff has to become what's inside of your heart. It has to become part of your will so that your will and God's will line up together in order to continue on this journey of being a disciple of mine. It was a difficult one. 
Well, John tells us a little bit here about their reaction. John, this comes from the book of John, chapter 6, uh, verse 60, and it says, When many of his disciples heard it, remember, this is a whole group of people, a group of disciples, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Well, I would have probably been doing the same thing. I'd have been saying, What are you talking about? But Jesus turns to the disciples, the twelve that are left, because most of them left. And he says, are you guys going to leave me too? And Peter says to Jesus, he says, where, where are we going to go? Who else has the words of life? Yeah, I don't understand it all either. We don't quite get it. It was obvious they didn't get it all. They didn't understand many of the things and the concepts and the themes that Jesus was talking about until much later. But, but Peter stands forward and he says, you know, I, where else are we going to go? You're the only one that has the words of life. You're the only one that we've learned that we can trust in when it comes to who God is and what God's will is and the kingdom of heaven and all those types of things. He says, where else are we going to go? I think it was at this point that those 12 disciples solidified, at least partly, their overall trust in who Jesus was and who God is. It's obvious that beforehand they didn't quite believe and trust and understand everything completely. But at this point, when Jesus shifts things to a spiritual, you know, a spiritual idea, you know, this concept of a spiritual relationship with God and investing or ingesting all of that into who you are and into your heart. I think it was at that point that they actually started to get it, to understand what Jesus was talking about. I want to share with you a story, a couple of different stories, actually, about some people that um, we read about in Scripture, but we didn't really read all the details the details of their lives and who they were and what took place has been documented in other documents that are historical. Uh, many of them are being held in the Vatican and Rome, and uh, they are just part of our history. But one of the persons that I want to mention to you, his name was Longinus, and I'm not sure I'm even pronouncing it right, Longinus. Uh, it's L-O-N-G-I-N-U-S. And he was the centurion who cast his spear into the side of Jesus uh, at the end of the crucifixion to make sure that he was dead. Now we read in scripture that when he did that, there was blood and water that were mixed and they, they sprayed out from, this, uh, from Jesus and, and fell onto the centurion who, who put his spear into his side. These other documents that I'm talking about go further with the story, and they, they talk about how uh, Longinus had cataracts in his eyes. And when this fluid starts coming out of the body of Jesus, it gets into his eyes, and he was healed that day on the spot, according to these documents. And because of that healing, he became a believer uh, in who Jesus is. He became a believer back then that, you know, we just crucified the Son of God. Truly, this man was the Son of God. He ended up being martyred for his faith. 
Again, this is not a, you know, we read about him casting the spear in the Bible, but these other historical documents tell us what happened later. And this man was, you know, converted right there, right there in, in, in this whole situation with all these people around. And he ends up being um, crucified. There's a couple of other people I want to mention to you, and, and their names are Perpetua and Felicity. Those are not names you've heard probably a lot today. But uh, Perpetua was a, a member of royalty. This is in the third century after Jesus was crucified. This is the early Christian church. And Perpetua was a you know a wife of a noble family or man and, and his family and all, and she had children and just had an infant. And her slave was Felicity, and Felicity was pregnant at the time. And but the two of them became believers in Jesus. Now these were not the best things that they could have done for their life. Uh, they experienced a tremendous amount of persecution. And what ended up happening was, as other Christians were being persecuted and thrown into prison, uh, Perpetua and Felicity were thrown in there also. Now, Perpetua had just had a child. Felicity was pregnant. And, uh, you know, those Christians were persecuted and they were put into an arena and they were tortured and, and all these things trying to get them to recant their faith in Jesus, but they wouldn't do it. And Perpetua, you know, she had every reason to just say, you know, oh, it's not worth it. You know, I've got a husband. I've got, you know, I'm into a noble family. I've got all kinds of stuff to live for. Plus, I have a brand new infant at home. And she had every reason to say, well, it's okay. You know, okay, Jesus, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. And she could have got out of the whole mess, but she didn't. Felicity, the same thing, except they, they allowed her to wait until her baby was born before they ended up persecuting her and torturing her and ended up martyring her too. You know, these two women, they had a lot to be thankful for in their life. Jesus and that relationship they had with him was part of that. And they just could not let it go. Even though they had family in front of them that were facing persecution, they had new children, infants, that needed them. There was something about their faiths, something about their relationship with God that they could not deny. And they both went to their death because of it. You know, I think these are a couple of examples of people that that truly learned what it meant to trust in who God is fully. To trust in who God is completely. You know, in our lifetime, one of the most difficult aspects of trusting God for you and I is going to simply be rejection by family and friends. That they don't necessarily believe that God is who he is and that his word is actually his word. Sometimes we get challenged. You know, well, if, if that's the what stance that you're going to take, then, you know, it's kind of, you know, you and I don't have as much in common as we used to, and I don't know. You know, I've talked to this 
this topic many times with people because when a family member or a loved one looks at you cross-eyed because of what you believe, because you're trusting in the Word of God or you're trusting in the Spirit of God, that's a difficult choice. That's a very difficult choice for people to make. Because the here and now, you know, is right here in front of me. My loved ones and my family and friends are right here now. You know, and I don't want to lose that relationship. But I don't want to lose anything there. But sometimes we have to stand on the Word of God for what it says. If we want to trust in who He is. It's, it's our own choices. You and I have to make these choices ourselves. Tough Questions for God is a teaching ministry of the Rosebush United Methodist Church, where we challenge our faith with some of the most difficult issues. Tough Questions for God is available on Facebook Live Sundays at 11.30 a.m. or go on our website at toughquestionsforgod.org and just follow the links on the homepage for YouTube or via podcast. Thanks for joining, and don't forget to like and share. God bless.